Welcome to episode 164 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined once again by Paul Herman. He's back. Paul, you were gone for a little bit, and I know you've been really busy lately. Happy to have you back. And (laughs) I wanted to leave it to you to be able to share your news as far Uh as what's going on, because I I figured this was something that's so big and so amazing that I certainly Uh didn't want to steal your thunder. It was up to you to be able to share this with our audience. Now, if you were already doing what you were supposed to be doing and following at Herman22 with two N's, (laughs) a.k.a. P-Thug, on Twitter and Instagram, then you might already know, or... If you tuned into a an impromptu live Instagram Q&A on the at Marvel Studios News Instagram between Paul and myself last week, then you already know what's up. But for everybody, Paul, how you doing? What's going on? Well, uh, pretty crazy. Um, my wife and I had our first child uh, this last uh, couple weeks ago, and it's been quite a whirlwind. Uh, we We adopted a girl. And a baby girl, straight infant, and uh, we had literally two weeks to prepare. Uh, we had no idea it was happening until literally two weeks, and uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind. It's been amazing, and uh, we've just been extremely blessed. And I just am so so thankful for everyone's uh, you know congratulations on on social media and. And the text messages I've gotten from, you know, so many people that I've met through Sean and Sean himself, obviously Sean's kind of known what's been going on for a while, but, um, but yeah, like it's, it was very last minute and it was very amazing. And I'm, like I said, it's been an incredible experience being a father, um, being up late at night is not as fun as you would think. Um, it's not as bad, but my honestly, my wife's having a harder time. But she also has to work. I, I have I've been off for like a month and a half now because of maternity leave. So, um, but things have been great. Um, she's healthy. Um, just like I said, I'm super, super excited and blessed to, to, to something that my wife and I have have been wanting for a long time. So, uh, yeah. So we uh, have been doing that for a while, and that's why I've been kind of off and on if you follow me on social media you'll you've you've you heard about it a few weeks ago but even then i i just haven't been as prominent on social media as i usually am and that's kind of by design but also just because i'm just you know things are just kind of insane right now so uh but a good insane a great insane so uh yeah it's a it's been it's been a quite it's been a quite a memorable month and a half we'll say that (laughs) um so uh yeah, it's it's a it's an all timer, and you know if you guys for people who know me well, they've heard the story, and they're just like they kind of like are blown away of just how insane it all is. So it's uh it's been great. Again, thank you for all your uh, everyone's prayers and and well wishes and everything. It's been greatly appreciated, and like I said, I'm just, we're extremely blessed to have her in our lives. Well, congratulations to the Hermans. Happy to have you back, you. Paul. And yes, I, I don't do. I don't think you should worry so much about not being as present on social media. What you got going on is a lot better than Twitter, which I'm sure you already know. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. It's 1,000 times better than Twitter. <laughs> a lot better than <laughs> no, that. Okay. Yeah, so a lot better. what we wanted to do for this week's podcast is we figured since there's not necessarily an overwhelming amount of news right now, everything is kind of still on hold. We have our updated release late for Marvel movies. We know that a lot of productions are still on hold. 
So we don't have a ton of movement, at least not in the way that we know about yet. So we figured this would be a good time to catch up with all of you and, ha and give you an opportunity to ask us some questions. So that's what we're doing this week. And so I put the call out on our Instagram story, and that's at Marvel Studios News, because maybe this will become a little bit more of a regular thing for the time being. So if you want to know how you can submit questions, just stay tuned to our Instagram story at Marvel Studios News, and you'll have an opportunity to submit questions there. But uh, I put the word out to get a lot of your questions, and we had plenty of questions come our way and more questions than we'll be able to answer on the show. But I made sure I, I got to We're going to get to as many of them as we can. It's going to cover a wide range of topics throughout Marvel Studios and the MCU. So without further ado, let me shut up and jump right into the first question. So our first question this week comes from Ronald. And Ronald asks, what do you think is more likely regarding the eventual X-Men incorporation into the MCU? Do you see it playing out similarly to how the Guardians of the Galaxy were handled in which they have their own world building taking place, which eventually crosses paths with the Avengers during a phase ending event film? Or do you see it as a more uh, trickled approach of including mutant characters throughout the specific phase that they are introduced? So that's our question, and it really revolves around the X-Men being introduced into the MCU, Paul. And this is a topic that I wanted to cover because this, this type of question, these types of questions about the X-Men and mutants in the mm -hmm. MCU, they come up quite a bit anytime I do Q&A shows on the Patreon, or if I do a live Q&A on our Instagram. There's a lot of curiosity right now and, and fans wanting to speculate about what's going to happen with the X-Men and how they're going to be brought into the MCU. And the first caveat that I would throw out there is I honestly have no idea what Marvel Studios is going to do. I don't know what's more or less likely, because when you think about the ways they could include mutants into the MCU and, and start introducing those characters, they could use the multiverse. They could use history that we don't know about that's be, that will be newly uncovered at some point in a movie in the MCU. There are all kinds of different ways that Marvel Studios could do it. And because we haven't even started phase four, we haven't even seen Black Widow yet. So we haven't even had a chance to really get the clues for what Marvel Studios might be attempting to do. So anything we could throw out there right now, it really and truly is just a guess. But part of the reason why I wanted to bring in Ronald's question, though, is I do like that it had a specific focus as far as something that Marvel Studios could do. And I do like this idea, comparing it to Guardians of the Galaxy, where the Guardians had their story going on, and it felt very much like they were a part of the MCU. I mean, they even had a story involving Thanos in their very first movie. And yet, at the same time, they were very separate from the Avengers until Infinity War. And I kind of liked the way that the Guardians had a chance to build out their own mythology and do all of that before there was an intersection with the Avengers. And there are different ways of doing that. It could just be, although it's harder to do that for the X-Men than the Guardians as far as doing it in one universe, because the Guardians were on a completely different, they were actually literally in a different galaxy than the Avengers in the MCU. You wouldn't necessarily have that with the mutants in the MCU because everybody would be on Earth, but it could potentially be a different Earth. So I'm up for whatever Marvel Studios wants to do potentially. And, and I have no idea what they're going to do. And I'll I will certainly evaluate it and assess the situation once we actually see it, but I'm fine with a keeping things separate for a while and then bringing them together strategy, but I'm also fine with if they want to slowly integrate a few mutants here, a few mutants there, and then bring them together for the X-Men 
or X Factor or whatever mutant team franchises they want to have. I'm up for any of those types of things. And, and I honestly don't know what Marvel Studios is going to do. To me, there's, a, there's so many different angles you could go with. My, I'll be honest. I'll start with my least favorite where, where I don't want to see. I don't want, to then, I don't want them to come from a different universe. I do not want to see any of that. I don't want to see any of these integrated, we had to merge timelines and therefore the mutants are here and they're all, they've always been here. I and mean, that's very comic booky, but not for, that's not for the MCU. That's too clunky. And the MCU is so methodically planned and perfectly, for the most part, executed as far as at storylines. We need something that's going to be a, a little more believable and something that we can really get behind and believe and make sense to where, okay, this is why mutants aren't, they don't, we don't know what they are. And there's a, to me, there's only one, I think the only legitimate one, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. Now is probably they were there the whole time, but they were hiding. And the reason why I say that, look at the original X-Men movie. We, the X-Men didn't really come out until that movie there. I mean, I, I, I mean, as far as we know, obviously it's been retconned since then because of first class and all that stuff. But really we're led to believe that's when they first came out was in that film. And Obviously, Cyclops and Storm and Jean Grey and the other X-Men that are on the, uh, on the team, they've already been there for a long time. So, and they've already been gone through training. And as far as, you know, the world at that moment is just, is just trying to, is discovering mutants for the first time, basically. At least, again, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I've seen the movie a ton of times. And if what, I'm, if what I'm remembering is correct, well, they existed it's, it's, and people knew about them because even Senator Kelly is, is in there and he already knows about mutants and he's talking about them. So they are around, but they certainly aren't this massive presence that everybody in the world mm -hmm. understands. And they haven't been running around being superheroes. Now, again, a lot of that got changed because X-Men continuity is pretty much non-existent. So... Yeah, you know, that's why, you know, but just going off of but I, I think your point still holds, though, with respect to yeah. um, with, with respect to how it was handled when the X-Men were first introduced in the Fox franchise. The other thing that I have about that, though, is the one issue I have with the, hey, they've been here all along and we just didn't know it is there's it, it seems like to a certain extent, there's already some of that in play with the Eternals. And so that's where I'm like, well, we're going to do that again. We're going to do that same thing of. Here's this other set of superpowered characters who mm -hmm. the world knew nothing about. Now, that said, we had uh, it, it's not the type of thing where everything has to be completely different and unique in its own way. We have two captains in the MCU, America and Marvel, who both were inserted into the past of the MCU timeline and each had their own explanation as to why they weren't around uh, Steve Rogers being frozen on ice. Captain Marvel going out and helping scroll refugees for decades. So they all had their, they each had their own unique explanation for why they were off the table for such a long period of time in the MCU. So what I would throw out there as maybe a reason why the X-Men or, or mutants just in general, not specifically the X-Men, because there are a lot of mutant characters and not all of them are members of the X-Men. So why mutants would be around, but potentially in hiding and have been here all along 
is actually going into Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of X, which we are going to be talking about on an upcoming Patreon exclusive episode of the Marvel Unlimited Book Club. But the reason the reason I call that out and one of the things that jumped out to me in that story was that you have a character in Moira McTaggart, and this is spoiler alert for House of X and Powers of X. They are on Marvel Unlimited. I, I recommend you read them. And I'm not spoiling the whole story, but just one aspect of it is that you have a character who has seen multiple possible futures and not like in a Doctor Strange, like saw them all in, in, in one sitting kind of way, but actually lived through them and then jumps back. So that actually would be a reason why. And what I love so much about that, as far as its potential in the MCU, is it provides a sense of history for the mutants in a very short amount of time, um, at least in terms of our perception as an audience. And at the same time, it provides motivation for why mutants might be in hiding, because they know that strategically, this is when we have to reveal ourselves, because if we do it any differently, or if we, you know, maybe we need to stay in hiding for as long as we can, because if we don't, we actually know how this turns out for us. And so we need to wait until a specific moment that we burst onto the scene for in, in however way they go about it. So there are ways to do that. At the same time, I'm not completely against the, the multiverse version of it. And I'm not necessarily saying merge the Fox universe with the MCU, because the problem with the Fox universe is, look, if you don't have Hugh Jackman and he keeps saying he's done playing Wolverine, if you don't have Hugh Jackman, there's no point in merging the universe. You can have Deadpool mm -hmm. be the exception to the rule because Deadpool just exists outside of the story, breaking the fourth wall and all the stuff that he does. Deadpool can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to bring his friends with him, fine. I don't care about that. But as far as the, most of the mutants in the MCU, I'm fine with the, they've been here all along. I'm fine with the multiverse, uh, you know, emerging of the multiverse. I'm also fine with something where there actually were very, very, very few mutants. And then something has happened as a result of whether it's, you know, time travel shenanigans from Endgame and additional fallout from that or anything to explain why how there's you know maybe there's more of an onset or you know a larger activation of the mutant gene going on where there are going to be a lot more of those characters present while maybe only a handful actually have decades worth of history be it Magneto, Professor X, Wolverine. So there are I mean I think there are a lot of different ways to to go about it but I think that's the point Paul is that until we even start to see how they're shaping this we're just throwing darts and, and there's not even a board on the wall. It's like it's just a blank wall that we're throwing mm -hmm. darts anywhere because there's so there are almost limitless options. Yeah, th that's a good point. I, one thing that kind of came to my mind was what if mutants just started showing up slowly and then just in the last, I'd say, let's say five years during, you know, the during the end game, uh, whatever they started being exposed more, or at least starting coming out of the woodwork, you could have it where Magneto and Xavier are some of the early mutants from back in the day. And then they're, and they're slowly discovering more and more, but as they go, but as the years go on, there's, they're starting to see an uptick more in mutants as we've seen an uptick of just super powered beings like a Captain Marvel or, or whatever. You could also say it like that. So that's why you haven't seen them, you know, come out is because Professor Xavier is still gathering them at this point and, and everything. So, cause the one thing I think we as X-Men fans and I've, and I've always, I've been a long time X-Men fan right now. I've checked out the comics again. It's, it's ridiculous, but that's a whole other Patreon episode for, uh, for that whole thing. We'll, we'll get into, I'm looking forward to that episode, but 
what we're used to as X-Men hardcore and longtime X-Men fans is that these characters have been established for so long and that, or at least Xavier has had so many different teams in, you know, whatever sliding timescale you have. So you have the original X-Men and you have the all new X-Men that had to bail his original team out. And that was within like, you know, 10 years or five years or whatever. So I guess my point is, is that Xavier's had a long history of being a school for gifted for a uh, school of gifted youngsters. And you assume that you have to start at that point where he's already established and had like 20 patient or patients, uh, students. That's not the case. And I think that we have to rethink that idea of what exactly this school, you know, is because we're thinking of like first class that it has to be take place 20 years ago or, or whatever. No, 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 it doesn't have to. It could start literally within, let's say, around what about the invasion? Here's a, how about this, Sean, this, tell me what you think about this. What if Professor Xavier um, is they have like a the opening scene is is Xavier and he he gets in, we get invaded by the Chitari and it's him trying to like battle these aliens and he you know he's by him you know so he's he has powers and he's not exposed himself and he's out there and he's defeating helping defeat the Chitari that are you know obviously all over New York City and then maybe he discovers Cyclops through the Battle of New York. And he's, you know, it's, it's so chaotic. No one notices a guy's beams coming out of his head. I mean, again, just maybe not Cyclops specifically, but something like that. And that is the, then the start of the X-Men. It's still underground. No one really knows about it. Mutants are still on the down low, but it's not that they have, they're hiding and they're keeping it secret, but it's more of there's just, they're starting to come more prominent and people are starting to come forward with, I've got superpowers and it's not everyone doesn't want to be necessarily a superhero and or let's just assume that um or we know that like just again what i was trying to explain earlier was they're starting the mutants are starting to come out of the woodwork because for whatever reason they're just starting to come out and like they're starting to be more prominent and through the battle of new york he, more mutants are out there trying to save them you know save the people around them and again because things are so chaotic people you only hear rumors of other other beings that and what at that point people like captain america iron man all of them shield maybe they just only hear rumors and they just have a light investigation about it but nothing they can really you know deviate completely because they've got their hands full of other stuff already not to mention what other little things they, you know, you could even have shield agents that know about it, but maybe they keep their mouth shut because they talked to professor Xavier. That could be a side story as well. Um, so for me, that's where it has to go. I think something like that, where it's not, it's either they're hiding or they're just kind of, again, they're not as prominent for a reason. And, and I, again, I go, I go back to that first X-Men movie for that. Not, not the whole continuity, like you said, Sean, but Think about Professor Xavier starting his X-Men team within the last 10, 15 years. And that's what I think they'll probably go with. And having a younger X-Men team wouldn't exactly be, one, a bad precedent because the X-Men have been known to be younger, for the for at least for the most part, for a long time back in the early days. And two, you don't really have a lot of young heroes right now. So having more heroes that are in maybe, let's say, their early 20s, um, and again, I know we have, there's other things. Yeah, we have, we do have Avengers. stuff on the way in the MCU with some of those, but I, I take your points uh, all the same though. Like I, I like the idea cause I, I liked when Bendis and his X-Men run brought into like brought forward in time, the young Cyclops and young Jean Grey. I thought that was a lot of fun. 
Now in the MCU, we don't have the grown-up versions of those characters, so you you can just go ahead and you can start them off as being younger heroes, and I think that mm-hmm. would be really exactly. interesting. But you know, in thinking about the different ways, I wouldn't necessarily insert Charles Xavier into the Battle of New York because they already pulled that trick with the Ancient One in Avengers Endgame, and I don't want to keep going. Well, how many people were there? Like, I I would be a little careful about that. But there's other places that you could insert people. Like, for example, Charles Xavier finds out that two teenagers suddenly had powers in Sokovia, and maybe he's there at Age of Ultron. Mm. So there you go. There's yeah. a, you know, there's an opportunity. And or, you know, maybe there was uh, a couple of mutants, a couple students that he was working with. And then all of a sudden you have uh, something happens with the snap in Avengers Infinity War. And we have this five year gap between Infinity War and Endgame, or I should say during Avengers Endgame. And who was out being a superhero during all of that? We know that Hulk was doing it, but we also can see that maybe other characters were helping out in whatever ways they could. And they were doing so in secret. And so that's a way to add a little bit of history to the mutants and the X-Men and the MCU. And also just speaking of the mechanics of the MCU, and this might be super cheesy, terrible fan fiction, which is why people get paid a lot more money to actually write this stuff professionally. But just to keep going with along those same lines, because that has been one of the fan theories that's out there is to play on the mutant history of Wanda and Pietro in the MCU. Just look at their mutant history in the comic books. Now, they could not call them mutants in the MCU. But now they could. And so we did hear in Age of Ultron that uh, that Von Strucker and Dr. Liss, I mean, they actually they experimented on a lot of people. And Wanda Mm -hmm. and Pietro were the only two who survived. Well, what if what allowed them to survive was the mutant gene? And so what if the Mind Stone activated the mutant gene and that's what gave them their powers? And along those same lines, Rocket describes this surge of energy that happened, that there were only two incidents like it, when Thanos did his original snap in Infinity War and the one that he did in the garden to destroy the stones. So what if on Earth, that original snap, that power surge, unlike anything like it, was Infinity Stone energy that ends up activating the mutant gene similar to how, because the Mind Stone is part of it, similar to how Wanda and Pietro gained their powers. And so that's where you could actually have more mutants coming onto the scene all at once, and Xavier is actually gathering some of them, whichever ones he can, uh, in order to help them in this five years during Avengers Endgame. Now, like I said, that's straight up fan fiction and probably terrible and not something that Marvel Studios will go with. But if we're just going to try and throw out ideas based on what's already available in the MCU, but that's where we're limited because Kevin Feige and company, they already have a lot of other things that they're planning throughout phase four. And so they can base their mutant ideas off of those things that we just don't know about yet. So as I said, uh, there's a lot of guesswork involved as far as how they do it. I think there are, what makes me feel the best about it is as we describe these ideas, if I just think about them in very vague ways, they all have the potential to work and they all have the potential to work very, very well. So it's just really going to come down to how specifically do they go about it? But circling back to that idea of that question, though, of, you know, keeping them separate for a while, kind of like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, if you put them somewhere else in the even though they're on the same planet, if you put them somewhere else in the timeline where we already know what the Avengers are doing, then that does kind of keep them separate and allow them to have some of their own world uh, world building before they eventually intersect with the Avengers. But one last thing that I would throw out, I might as well just cover all our bases on mutants in the MCU for now is the idea of 
keeping the X-Men and the mutants uh, separate from most of the Avengers activities and then bringing them together. I would say that if you take a long time to bring them together, I don't want the first story to be Avengers versus X-Men. I think eventually we are going to get an AVX movie. I think eventually it happens. But I don't want it to be the first time the Avengers and mutants meet in the MCU or close to the first time that they meet. These conflicts are a lot more interesting, at least they are to me. They're a lot more interesting when there's some history between the characters, like Tony and Steve in Captain America Civil War. Even though they had only known each other for a few years when Civil War happens, a lot happened. A lot went down in between those few years between those guys. Things that we saw on screen, things that we didn't see. But when they actually fought each other in Civil War, it really meant something. And it was much more emotional because we built to it. And so if we are going to have an Avengers versus X-Men movie one day, I still want that to be years after we have first seen the Avengers and mutants meet because I want to see that tension build and build and build until it eventually boils over and we have this massive conflict. Yeah, the motif of heroes fighting when they first meet each other, that's mostly to me the, a comic book you know, medium thing. Whereas in the films, it's not really, it's not, hasn't really been done that much unless I mean, a little bit here and there, but not, it's not really the, the, the way it goes. So I, I wouldn't, I personally don't think that would, that's going to happen. I, and I wouldn't want it to happen either right out, right off the bat. One thing I think that whatever, whatever way they introduce the X-Men, I think it really has to serve a greater purpose for the MCU going forward. And what I mean by that is how does it tie into the greater threat or what exactly does that th is that threat are they a part of that will lead them to team up just like the Guardians. That to me is what probably what the X-Men will be dealing with. And and to be quite honest, Sean, I don't know if I'd want the X-Men introduced for a while. And I'm, I'm not sure if we've talked about that, but because the X-Men have been, have been around for so long and they've had so many films and, and let's be real here that they haven't exactly been handled very well, you know, for the most part, I kind of think giving them a good chunk of rest would do the franchise and, and all those giant characters some good. And then when they do get introduced, you have, again, they are the threat or not they, they themselves, but their threat is the, the main focus of the phase, the Thanos, if you will, the, again, these evil mutants per perhaps that are coming out of the woodwork that all of a sudden the X-Men or the Avengers and these other characters are having to deal with and saying, what is this? I think that to me is the greater idea of how you introduce them um, as far as that goes, because I just don't want to, because to me. If you introduce them in like phase four or phase five and you have this this threat of this outer space threat or whatever you're going to be building towards, and I I just don't know if you want to introduce them when they're not when they're the the main phase of focus is not around them or the threat of from them without you know without having them involved and to me it was it just seems like you're cluttering things up and you they have to serve a purpose like the guardians served a purpose and it made a lot of sense to introduce them and you helped integrate thanos with them and i think that again just kind of maybe this is a no-brainer but for me it's kind of like well that makes a lot of sense maybe that's why they want to introduce the guardians not, not just because they're such great characters but it helped them further this idea of thanos going forward whether the movie was the movie was super successful or not, they had to they wanted to kind of build off that regardless. 
And I think that that's what they're probably going to do with the X-Men. I don't think you want to introduce them just kind of randomly. If you plan, you know, a phase or a whole thing around their, let's say, Magneto or, again, the Morlocks or Juggernaut, whatever, whatever X-Men, you know, thing you want to do it around, you can then build off that just like you can build that franchise back up, whereas I think it's been kind of torn down gradually. You can kind of build it back up gradually by using these these other films like you know oh what we'll, we'll say storm winds up in wakanda and falls in love with, with with uh with black panther or something like that you kind of build towards that so people are getting used to these characters integrated into the marvel universe and then you have their these movies and people can get behind it and say okay this isn't what we were expecting or this this is definitely a lot different than the the uh, fox movies because regardless of what we think the general audience is going to be burned out with you know, with a uh, X-Men, regardless of what you do. And I think that Spider-Man's another great example of what you want to do. You show him in Civil War, that's not a Spider-Man movie, and go, hey, everyone, it's Spider-Man. It's a totally, totally different Spider-Man, and this is why, and blah, blah, blah. And people went, oh, okay. Yeah, we've, we this is a, a Spider-Man film we've gotten in the last, like, what, two, three years. We've gotten a zillion of these, but this is a a way different direction, a better character, better everything, and people showed up for it. So I think that that's what you need to do. You need to have it be built up like a Spider-Man, but you also need to make, I think, the overall threat. There needs to be a legitimate reason for them to show up. Spider-Man's different because he's one character and he's the he's the biggest superhero in the in the world, arguably. And the X-Men not necessarily the same the same situation. You got to really kind of build them back up and you can't just throw them out there. I don't, at least again, I don't think you can just throw them into a random film and say, okay, well, let's just, we'll, we're, you know, here's the X-Men. I think it has to be a lot more TLC with it. Well, I, I certainly think for Marvel studios, they, what they have the luxury of being able to do is pacing themselves because right. they don't need the mutants to be the be all end all. So Whenever they start bringing the mutants in, I think they will do it slowly. I don't think that because even if they come up with an explanation that says the mutant gene has been activated in many, many people all at once, even if they do that, almost like a Terrigen bomb thing from Infinity within humans in the comic books, if they do something like that, I still think in terms of the characters we would meet, we're going to meet them in small groups. And some of them might be grouped together in a team film of mutants. Some of them might be introduced in other franchises that star characters who are more uh, more closely aligned with the Avengers. I think there's a lot of different things that they could do, but what I don't expect is here's a bunch of different mutant teams. Here's like 50 different mutant characters that you're all supposed to start following immediately. It's mm-hmm. not going to go that way because as we saw with the Infinity Saga, we just go back to portals in Avengers Endgame. Did we meet all of those characters in phase one? Nope. We met them over the course of several years in many films. And I think the same thing will hold true of the mutants in the MCU. But there are a lot of different ways to do it and a lot of different ways they could sequence things. And and of course, a lot of different ways that they could pace themselves. But I do expect it to be a slower, more methodical and and planned out strategic approach. And also just uh, allowing things, the space to really mean something creatively on an individual character basis and a film by film basis. And so I think that's what we're going to see with the X-Men, which will be a combination of a lot of things, which, of course, I know we covered a lot of ground here on that question. Thank you very much for the question, Ronald. Hopefully there's an answer to your specific question somewhere in all of that. 
Uh, but let's go to our next question from Lewis. Lewis wants to know, uh, will we see a Scottish superhero in the MCU asking as a Scotsman? Mm. I don't know. Um, I mean, Scottish characters who come to mind, I, but I don't know that they're Scottish in terms of they are actually from Scotland or just of Scottish descent. Like Wolfsbane, who's going to be in New Mutants, is Scottish, I believe. Uh, Moira McTaggart, who I brought up in the answer yeah, to the last Banshee. question. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure when we will see a Scottish superhero in the MCU, because if we go with Wolfsbane, well, we're about to see Wolfsbane in New Mutants, allegedly. So maybe that means that character would get a break before we see her in the MCU. So, yeah, just a long way of saying I I'm really not sure there are options in Marvel Comics, but when those characters would pop up, I really don't know. Scott, you know, I'm trying to think who I, I only think of UK characters like Captain Britain. Or, or Megan. Megan might be, which is Captain Britain's girl. She's got like an elf, like long hair. She, she's kind of a weird character from Excalibur. She, I think she's Scottish or she's from a different dimension. I always, I always imagine with, with an accent like that. Um, yeah, Wolfsbane is definitely, a lot of mutants have came from Scotland. A lot of them. So yeah, Morton McTaggart, Banshee, Siren, uh, his daughter, that was his daughter. Uh, trying to think of anyone, because um, obviously the um, Union Jack is not. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other British uh, heroes. Um, well, basically you know, what again, you need is you need the mutants to start getting introduced and then you'll get a Scottish yeah. superhero. You know, there, um, a series to check out black knight might be might be i don't know something like that because uh check check out the uh captain britain in the mi13 uh series There's, that's a a uk kind of superhero uh book that kind of you know spans a whole area and there might be some characters in there pete wisdom maybe i don't know these are characters these are characters i'm not super familiar with not a big pete wisdom guy but he might be uh from that area so yeah check out that that series on marvel unlimited it's it's a i, I remember liking it so but there's a lot it's an emphasis in that area of the world of superheroes so check that out if uh you're you're interested next question we have comes from giuseppe what would be a prop you would love to see featured in prop culture from the MCU? So for anyone who doesn't know, prop culture is a series that dropped on Disney Plus over the past uh, few weeks. I think they dropped every episode at once instead of doing their normally their normal weekly thing. But it's as the title suggests, prop culture. It's about movie props. And they didn't have any MCU films in their first season. But inevitably, if they keep going and making more episodes of this, I'm sure they're going to get to the MCU. So as far as a prop that I would want featured. I'll take anything from the MCU, but if I had to pick one, then I think what would be a cool episode, or even if it's not an entire episode, just a, a good segment on an episode would just be a series of Captain America shields, because obviously we have seen a few different iterations of the shield over the years. And also just the way the shield is actually done in the MCU. You have so many different versions of it that make it on set. So you have the ones that just look good for Chris Evans to hold. You have the ones that get thrown. You have the ones that are used to actually hit other stunt performers with. So any profile on Cap Shield, I think, would be the coolest one. And, and then an honorable mention on that would be to, to go back to some of the OG Iron Man armor from the first Iron Man mm -hmm. film. I, there's not as much practical. I mean, it was never 100 percent practical, but there's not nearly as much practical physical armor in the MCU anymore. But there was in the first Iron Man film, so a look at some of that would be a lot of fun too. Man, that's a it, it's it's weird because everything's such so CGI centric now. 
like cap shield is like really their only besides like stupid hawkeye's bow and arrows which i don't give a crap about those the only air and stormbreaker yeah, are real yeah i was gonna say molnir you know you could you know cap shield seems the most legit because there's so many different there's been so many movies and i'm like you said there's been so many different uh well even the paint job right in winter soldier he's got a different paint job on his shield it seems like so you definitely could go through the different iterations of that shield um when t'challa like scrapes it and everything so yeah i think again i would go that way because because that's the probably the most iconic of besides molnir as far as props goes with the marvel of the at least with the mcu next question we have is from michael do you think Travis Knight will direct an MCU movie? Well, for those of you who don't know, Travis Knight directed Bumblebee with Haley Steinfeld a couple years ago, also directed the animated film Kubo and the Two Strings. And those are both movies that I liked a lot. So I would certainly be up for Travis Knight directing an MCU movie. And he's been on, I think, a couple of reported Marvel shortlists in recent years. He obviously hasn't actually gotten a job in the MCU. I think what he's attached to next is the $6 billion man with Mark Wahlberg. I don't know if that's actually happening or not, but uh, at some point, it wouldn't surprise me if Travis Knight directs an MCU movie. I don't know what it would be. It's nothing in the immediate future, obviously, otherwise he'd already be booked on one of the things that's been announced by Marvel Studios so far. But I certainly think that it, the possibility, the potential is definitely there because even though you could look at it and say, well, he was on the short list and he didn't get the job. That means he's never going to work for Marvel Studios. It doesn't really work that way. Some of the directors who've been at Marvel and made Marvel movies have been on other short lists. One of the most famous examples, and because I think Chloe Zhao, who's doing The Eternals, might have been on the list for, she was on the list, I think, for something else, maybe Black Widow, um, and then eventually you know, found the right project with The Eternals. But Peyton Reed was on the short list for Guardians of the Galaxy. That job went to James Gunn. But then Peyton Reed ended up having an opportunity to direct not one, but two Ant-Man movies with a third on the way. So uh, just because you don't uh, end up getting the actual job in, in the final, just because you don't make the final cut to be a director for a specific Marvel movie, if you're in those, if you're getting in that room and getting those meetings and, and getting on the short list, that means you're a director that Marvel Studios likes, and that's somebody that the Marvel Studios believes in. It's just a matter of finding the right project. And so while that's certainly not a prediction that Travis Knight definitely will direct an MCU movie at some point, it certainly wouldn't surprise me to see his name attached to a specific MCU film at some point. Next question comes from Giovanni. What are some of the reasons why or behind the MCU's lack of behind-the-scenes content compared to other franchises? So I'll let you start with this one, Paul. This is a really good question because you being yeah. a big, well, both of us being Star Wars fans, but you being massive, massive Star Wars fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As Star Wars fans, we are, because I totally get Geo's point here. As Star Wars fans, you get all the behind the scenes stuff you could ask for. I mean, you could always ask for more, but you get a lot for Star Wars. Yeah. You don't get nearly as much for the MCU. And it's not just because Star Wars is Star Wars. I mean, other franchises have had more in-depth behind the scenes special features on their home releases and stuff like that. The MCU thus far just hasn't had very much of it. What do you, uh, to what would you attribute that? That's a good question. I just, I don't know. 
I don't know if maybe Kevin Feige and the and the people behind the Marvel Studios value special features as much as maybe they did uh, in the in the very beginning of their in, infancy and when they first started coming out with with Blu-rays. I remember um, there are a couple. I I was always really excited for the special features. I think the first Iron Man uh, release didn't have some bad stuff on it, and because for me. I love the featurettes when they talk about the comic books and, and how, you know, the inspiration, things like that. And the writers talking about what brought them, what, what do they borrow from the comics and what inspired them? What do they change? And for whatever reason, we just, you know, I don't know if, again, maybe because Kevin is, has such a strong hold on it that he just kind of, there's nothing more really to say. I don't, I don't know. Um, it, I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think Giovanni. I think I think he brings up a great point um, that there's just it's just kind of a lack because even with Star Wars, there's behind the scenes cameras kind of getting behind and people being interviewed, going in depth, talking about their characters, and you know, and we've got a little now. Don't get me wrong. There's been some good stuff. The the roundtable that the Mar the Marvel Studios roundtable for Infinity War is a fantastic featurette. And honestly, seems like the main inspiration for Disney Galleries, The Mandalorian, to be quite honest, uh, which, uh, funny enough, John Favreau was a part of that original roundtable. And then he's also part of this original uh, Disney Gallery thing that's kind of kind of popped up for the first time. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a coincidence, to be quite honest. That's just my opinion. Uh, but that being said... Yeah, I, I'm with them. I, I think there's an extreme lack of good quality talk about what their characters are doing, why they're doing it. And every time I, wa I watch a special feature, I just feel like I'm, it's, it's not in depth enough. And I know they try, but, you know... Uh, even the commentaries I get kind of aren't as interesting to me. And I know they're, they're good ones out in, in there. I just haven't really felt, and I love commentaries. I just haven't really felt like I've gotten enough good ones in there to make me go, oh yeah, okay, this is good. So yeah, to me, there's an extreme lack of, of, of special features content. And I, but I think a lot of that has to do with this Marvel studios, probably not valuing it as much as we, or some of us do. Yeah, I think it really just speaks to kind of how it all started with the MCU. I think that's really where I, I mean, maybe I attribute it more to inertia than anything else, because I think when Marvel first got started and as they were for many years, when you think about special features, you're talking about stuff that costs money. And there's always a question for how much money you actually get in return for that. So if people are buying a Blu-ray are they buying it for the special features? Or are they buying it for the movie? And then the special features are just kind of nice to have. I, and I think it really is more of that, the latter where they just count on people buying it for the movie. And I think historically, when you look at Marvel Studios starting up their own shop with Iron Man and with the Incredible Hulk, everything's kind of been a lean and mean operation for Marvel Studios as far as being as cost effective as possible. Now, and, and they've put all their money into making the movies as good as they can possibly be. And so when they figure out how to do the, the home release, and we know that Marvel Entertainment, which controlled Marvel Studios for a large chunk of time, notoriously cheap. And so maybe that's where kind of the, the tradition started of not really having a lot, not really having a robust slate of special features attached to every home release. And so maybe that's just what's kind of continued even in the era 
since 2015 when Marvel Studios split from the rest of Marvel Entertainment, because that was actually the first time I started thinking, maybe we'll get better special features now on Marvel home releases, because if they do this, then, um, you know, because now that it's not being controlled by super cheap Marvel anymore, and Marvel Studios can do their own thing, and they were spending more money on other things like press junkets and everything else became more like the rest of the Disney movies that were out there, maybe special features would also be a part of it. And that just didn't happen. And so I don't know if they if the thinking was, we haven't been doing this thus far, and therefore, and it still works. So we don't actually need to do this. So let's not spend the money on it now just for the sake of spending the money. I don't know if it's that or if I, I don't know, because even across the board with Disney, outside of Star Wars, it's not like there's these really great Disney's not known for fantastic home releases. Star Wars is more the exception than the rule at the Walt Disney Company. Although with Star Wars, I think part of the reason why with Star Wars is there's a certain level of tradition and reverence that is attached to Star Wars that just isn't there for literally anything else. So yeah. I think for Star that's where Di- even Disney which doesn't necessarily go all out traditionally for home releases, they make Star Wars the exception. And, you know, because Star Wars has that tradition, and so they uphold that. All of that said, I actually do think things are going to get better for Marvel Studios, and I think it's because of Disney+. Plus. Because one of the things that happened with Avengers Endgame is I was really disappointed when Avengers Endgame came out and it didn't have a feature-length documentary for the Infinity Saga. I, I remember thinking, how could you not have this? The Last Jedi has a feature-length documentary for one movie, and Marvel can't get a feature-length documentary for an entire Infinity Saga for many, many, many movies that were released over, the, over a decade or 11 years from Iron Man to Endgame. Really, they can't get a feature-length documentary out of that. And they didn't, but when Avengers Endgame showed up on Disney Plus at launch, there were special features that were not there on the Avengers Endgame home release. There were featurettes that were actually longer. And if you add them up, you actually start getting closer to a feature-length documentary. There were featurettes on casting, on Robert Downey Jr.'s history on the MCU. And these were things that were much more robust than the actual home release. And while you could look at that and, and say, well, shouldn't the people who spent the money on the home release actually get all of that stuff too? I don't disagree with that, if, and, and I certainly think that's a fair question to ask. But as somebody who now subscribes to Disney+, Plus, just seeing that there are better, more robust features on Disney+, Plus for Avengers Endgame, gives me hope that going forward, even if it's not necessarily on the Blu-ray release, we will get better special features and behind-the-scenes content from the MCU going forward. We will actually, actually get that on Disney+, Plus because if you go back to the value question. If you go back to the business side of the question, which is not the most fun, but it's ultimately going to dictate what you do or don't get as a customer, adding more content to Disney Plus is something that really works in Disney's favor. And that's where it becomes cost effective. Because if you want to have as much original, exclusive programming on your streaming platform as you possibly can, that delivers a big hook for audiences that encourages people to subscribe in the first place and then and then retain and keep their subscription going forward you want to have as much original content as you can for your biggest hooks and while you will have the marvel studios movies that go to theaters will eventually find their way to disney plus and you have marvel studios original series as much as, as great as all that content is it's also very cost effective to maximize that content by doing more behind the scenes uh, footage and and specials based on all of that content so it's a really long-winded way of saying that there is now a much bigger business justification for us to have more robust behind-the-scenes features 
on all of Disney's movies, not just the Marvel stuff, not just the Star Wars stuff, but Marvel obviously being included. Let's look at a couple things that are happening right now. Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. As soon as I saw that that was happening, I was very excited because I love The Mandalorian and wanted to go behind the scenes on that show, and I love the series so far, but I also immediately clocked the title, Disney Gallery, colon, The Mandalorian, which means that there will probably be, in my mind anyway, Disney Gallery, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Disney Gallery, mm. WandaVision. They're going to do, and, Disney, and for Star Wars, Disney Gallery, Kenobi, Disney Gallery, whatever they call the Cassian Andor series, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian Season 2. I think they're going to keep doing this because it doesn't cost that much more. If you're already spending the money to make these shows, it doesn't cost that much more to have John Favreau and company do uh, film some roundtable discussions, to have your behind-the-scenes camera crew uh, you know, doing little interview setups and everything so everybody's keeping track and you're getting cool behind-the-scenes footage. It costs money, but it doesn't. But the amount that you get for having that, it's, it's so much more than, than the money it costs you since you're already spending way more to make these movies and series in the first place. So I think we're going to get a lot of that. I don't know how it's going to take shape because the one thing that The Mandalorian has as an advantage is that Jon Favreau, as the showrunner for that series, gets to be the mm. one who hosts those roundtables for, for Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. I don't know who they have do that for Marvel Studios because they all the series have different head writers. You could ha you, you'd probably have to hire some other host. Jon Favreau is actually an experienced moderator. I know everybody knows of him as a director and a writer and a producer, but he had his interview show. He had his, table, his discussion show, Dinner for Five, on Independent Film Channel. And he's done this type of stuff uh, previously, as Paul mentioned, the director roundtable that was attached to Avengers Infinity War. But whatever it is, and they'll, they'll hire hosts, whatever they want to do, they will have different uh, hosts come in and do these panel shows for you know, the Disney Gallery series. I think there's going to be a lot of that stuff going forward because it's relatively inexpensive to produce and it adds tremendous value for customers on Disney+. Plus. So I think, of course, went over some of the reasons why the behind-the-scenes stuff for Marvel hasn't been quite as robust as I think it probably should have been. But I actually think that there's plenty of incentive on Disney's side for that to change going forward. Our next question comes from Javier. What is your favorite moment from each phase of the MCU? <laughs> this is totally an entire episode, but I will do an abbreviated version of it. Although we did do our top 10 moments in the MCU, although it was pre-Endgame, uh, we did that, uh, what was that, episode 90-something yeah. of the podcast, so that's, that's available. But if I had to pick one moment from each phase, well, let's just do it in order, Paul. Uh, what's okay. your, do you have a favorite moment you could call out for phase one? Phase one is, I can't remember what's in phase one, for God's sakes. Um, event, it ends with Avengers, correct? Okay, so I would say probably the my favorite moment in the phase one is going to be in Avengers, obviously. Um, probably, probably, on, honestly, probably when, when Cap and Iron Man first meet, just because it was such a surreal moment, that was, yeah, that's I, I, that gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. It's like, oh man, like yeah, that's this I, again without any kind of like prep or anything. I would say that moment was a special moment for me. Yeah, these only these answers are only valid for this recording because it's totally off the yes, top of exactly. our heads. And anytime I give favorites or rankings or anything, it's always subject to change because it does change in my head all the time. 
I fight with myself quite a lot when I even try to think about favorite mm-hmm. moments and rankings and stuff. But if I had to call out just off the top of my head, favorite moment from phase one, then I also have to go to the Avengers and I have to go with that long tracking shot during the Battle of New York where, mm-hmm. you know, Black yeah. Widow gets that boost and then she's on the the Chitari chariot and then we catch up with like we and we see everybody. Iron Man flies off. We catch up to Hawkeye doing Hawkeye stuff on the corner of a building. We get Thor and Hulk on that Leviathan, and it, of course, ends with that Leviathan crashing into Grand Central Terminal, and then Hulk punches Thor, and we're done. But that moment in Phase 1, that one, I mean, I, I teared up when I saw that for the very first time, because I just remember feeling like mm-hmm. this is why, I mean, and I can really remember it quite specifically, just the thought in my head as I was watching that was, this is why we have these movies. This is why all of this mm-hmm. exists. This is what it was all for to have a moment like this in this major comic book superhero movie that was just unprecedented in bringing these franchises together. So that one will always stand out, I think, as, a fav- as my favorite moment from phase one. That one, I'm actually pretty confident in saying, is my favorite moment for, uh, from phase one. I don't know that I would ever really have to take that one back or revise it. Um, phase two, Paul, that one's tougher for me uh, because... Mm-hmm. It's not like you don't have phase two doesn't have for me anyway. It, do, it doesn't quite have the same sense of history as phase yeah. one, at, le- at least in terms of the broader MCU and the broader just superhero movie landscape, because phase yeah. one kind of established everything. And, and phase two is mostly sequels outside of Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man, which is why I would probably have to go with Guardians of the Galaxy And I don't really think this is my favorite moment in the movie. In fact, I would say that it's not. But for the purposes of this question, I will say it's my favorite moment in phase two because of what it represents. And to me, it's just baby Groot dancing in the very first, you know, right after not even mid credit scene, just right after like Guardians of the Galaxy will return with Drax, you know, you know, baby Groot stopping dancing every time Drax looks over at him. And the reason why I, I put that out there is because I loved Guardians so much. And, and going into that film, I was very confident in the movie, but also a little scarred from Green Lantern a few years before because I grew up loving superheroes and loving Star Wars. And when you had space type superheroes, it was a kind of a merging of these worlds that I really, really loved the superhero and then the space stuff. And Green Lan- that's part of the reason why I always like Green Lantern as a superhero and as a superhero concept. Didn't really go my way in 2011. So as confident as I was in Guardians of the Galaxy, because the trailers look so good, there was a part of me that was just this little part in the back of my mind that I couldn't quite shake of just, please don't let this be Green Lantern all over again. And so when I watched Guardians for the first time, I absolutely loved it. And this is not my favorite moment from the film, but it's really just more of what it represents to me is the movie's over now, and we just kind of get this last great moment with Baby Groot. And it's kind of the victory lap for this movie and what that means for Marvel Studios, which means they can do just about anything now. Now, it's not automatic. Each movie still has to be evaluated based on its own merits. But when you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, this was certainly one of those movies along the lines of the MCU where people were thinking, this is going to be the one that fails. Marvel's going to have their first flop. This is finally going to be it. It's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy. No, it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. What this movie has done is delivered a great story in and of itself, but it's also expanded the idea of what's possible in the MCU. 
So it's because of all that that moment represents as kind of that shining victory lap for Guardians is why I'll take the, the baby Groot dance. I'm going to say, uh, again, off the top of my head, I'm going to go with Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, the kind of, when S.H.I.E.L.D. turns on Cap, and we have the elevator scene. I'm going to kind of cheat and say it's, because I, I, I consider it all one moment of him being attacked. He takes everyone on, everyone on and he jumps out of the elevator, and then he's driving on his motorcycle and takes out the, uh, the jet you know, or whatever by himself with a shield, like all those shield throws, what we talked about in the last episode. Uh, the reason why, again, off the top of my head, I'd pick that is because to me, that solidified Captain America as, let's be honest, he was a badass. And I, to this day, am still just marveled, no, no pun intended, of just marvel at the fact that, like, Captain America is a badass now. And that was a defining moment for, I think, the mainstream audience to really get behind Captain America. I think people, you know, when first first Avenger came out, I almost said first soldier, first Avenger came out and people liked it. It was, but it was a very much a throwback to Captain America comic books and it felt very, which is great. That's why it's one of my favorites. And I think it definitely holds up, but it definitely has a... Uh, a very I want to say cheesiness, but there's a playfulness to that to that era and where he where he came from, and in uh, Avengers, obviously he was brought to the, the modern world and he was brought in and and was given this uh, a really colorful costume, which I love. It's my favorite one still of the MCU. A lot of people don't like it; cause it looks a little cheesy, but I I like it for that reason. It looks so comic accurate. And then Winter Soldier happens, and he's got it's a little more updated and not in a way where it's like we got to make him more more of a cool guy more badass no 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 no. it's it was a very natural progression of that character and seeing and seeing captain america during that that elevator scene it's not like we were we couldn't see it it was just only happening because of that movie and because he just you know he, he had all his time to, to train or whatever no, no 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 that established him and this is what he's always capable of it's just you know what i mean they, they just brought it out He's able to show. We were able to showcase it a different way and show what Captain America really is all about. And I loved that that sequence, and it definitely made me just go, "Man, the the world has seen what Captain America is capable of in in the in the comics and as a character." And it's a really it's a great moment. It really is, and it really shows you how awesome Cap is. And for me, again, top of my head, that that's the first thing that come pops in my head is that whole sequence with, with the elevator and coming out of the elevator and taking out the Quinjet is awesome. If I had to pick one moment in all that, it would be kicking the shield up onto his arm after at the very end oh, of the elevator yeah. fight. Because if if I had to narrow it down to literally one moment, fine. But yeah, the the whole sequence is incredible. So I think that's a yeah. really great pick. So top moment for Phase Three. <laughs> This one not as like, not as difficult. This is a it's a yeah. I got to choose between two. I it's mm-hmm. either Cap getting Mjolnir or it's Portals, and I yeah. have to go. I have to go with Portals because as yeah. excited as I was to see Cap lift Mjolnir, it's a moment that I totally expected to see in Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. and certainly. I, I was aware in my head that you know at some point we would have to get some glorious shot of all of these heroes together but i didn't necessarily know for sure i I wasn't as sure i was pretty sure about cap wielding mjolnir i was less sure that we were going to hear the words avengers assemble i thought it was a possibility 
But the thing about portals is it's such a stunning and beautiful sequence in, in the way that it looks, but also the way that it sounds, that Alan Silvestri music is just unbelievable that mm-hmm. everything about that moment is so beautiful and so epic and poetic that I forgot about Avengers Assemble until just I was completely lost in it. And then we and then, of course, the music starts to, you know, t- starts to ramp up. And then Cap yells out Avengers. And then I'm just like, oh, this is it. And then assemble. And it's just kind of uh, similar to that Battle of New York moment, the tracking shot that I described for phase one. It was if that moment was this is why we have these movies. This was almost like this is why we have the MCU. This is what all of this has been for is to build to this moment. I thought it was Battle of New York and it kind of was for a while, but then it got even bigger than that with Avengers Endgame in this moment with Avengers Ensemble, with Avengers Assemble and Portals. I mean, it's it's not just my favorite moment in phase three of the MCU. I think it's my favorite moment in all of the MCU. It's probably my favorite moment in movies ever. I got to be honest. Like, I, I just think that if I'm thinking mm. about a, a moment that moved me the most as a fan, as a moviegoer, not just as a Marvel fan, uh, it was that one. It was Portals. And I, I just, I, I love that moment. I will never, ever, ever forget what it was like being in a theater for that sequence or anything really in, in Avengers Endgame. But Portals, I think, has to take my top spot. Yeah, it's Portals. It's Molnir or Portals, one of those two. If, you could almost flip a coin because the Molnir thing was pretty cool. But, but I, at this point, I have to tip it to Portals. It's, that is such a magical moment. Magical. Magical. Well, and Portals actually combines Cap wielding Mjolnir because that's what punctuates it yeah. is Cap catching the hammer. So it's, uh, mm, it's, yeah. it's there for sure. Okay, so we got uh, a few questions left. I'm also going to be uh, say we have a couple of questions because I know we're already running long here, but we have some quite we will um, answer additional questions on our Patreon credit scene. So if you don't know what that is, we have a Marvel Studios News Patreon, patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News where we have exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else. So we have the Marvelous Moments series, where we break down specific scenes, the Marvel Unlimited Book Club, where we talk comics that I mentioned earlier in the show. And then we do these Patreon credit scenes where we take what we were talking about on the main show, and then we just extend the conversation with another topic. And it might be related to what we discussed. In this case, it it will be because it's going to be listener questions, although they are different from anything else that's been asked so far. Um, But also... You know, it could be just an extension of what we were talking about before. And uh, so we have all of that kind of exclusive audio on our Patreon. And if you do sign up, you actually get your own private RSS feed that you can subscribe to in a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. So you get all of your Marvel Studios news podcasts, the main show and the Patreon exclusives. It's all in one feed. You don't have to track it down in multiple places. We also have a Patreon exclusive discord where we've been having a lot of fun doing watch parties and we do office hour sessions where I chat with folks. Just every day we have the text chat going, a great community of people talking the MCU pretty much every single day. But uh, you can also follow along, by the way, on the watch parties that we do on the Marvel Studios News Instagram at Marvel Studios News. I actually do live video during those watch parties. If you want to watch along with us with whatever movie we're watching, or if you want to ask me questions, uh, you can follow along there. Uh, But speaking of our Patreon, I do have some folks to thank this week. Thank you very much to some of our patrons, including Joe R, Diego A, Casey S, Josh W, Donald I, Joshua M, and Jeffrey J. They are some of our patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, getting that exclusive audio that I mentioned before. So for more information, 
please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Now let's finish up with a few more questions before we move over to our Patreon credit scene. Uh, the next question, or a couple more questions. Uh, the next one comes from Fayaz or Fayaz, sorry, 12G. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, will Thor receive a second trilogy or just standalone movies? So we know we're getting a Thor 4. Paul, are we getting Thor 5 and Thor 6? I, I think it really depends on uh, how 4 does. I think, well, since Taika's doing it, and it'll, it'll probably be successful, but it just really depends on how successful it is. If To me, I, I think as long as Hemsworth wants to keep doing it, I think they'll probably keep doing it because Hemsworth has really redefined the character uh, and, and re, or not redefined, but reinvented the character for himself and has done a great job uh, with it, not just in his own film, but obviously in the last two Avengers films. And I think uh, Hemsworth has been just, he's been an unsung hero in the, in the, in the MCU. And I think that he's definitely getting more of his, uh, his due thankfully because of i think of taika and ragnarok and whatnot but it definitely feels like he's more willing to kind of go with the flow he kind of reminds me of hugh jackman that way i think hugh jackman really you know he really took on the, the character of, of wolverine and said no this is mine i'm gonna own it and he did it for 20 years and let's be real thor's immortal and as or as a god excuse me and he, you can he could basically play that for uh, 20 years just like hugh jackman and it really seems like he doesn't mind it doesn't have the ego of oh i can't i have a i'm a serious thespian i cannot keep playing the same character forever it, it definitely feels and, and granted he probably gets paid very 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 well and so he's thinking to himself probably as well why quit and I'm not, you know, so I, it just kind of, it just makes sense. And it really, it really does feel that he does care about the character and likes playing the character. And I think that honestly, as long as, as long as he keeps giving us performances, I'm all for it. So I, hopefully he will keep doing the character as long as he, as he wants to. And if he's still good at it and I, and let's be real, even with look at the, the worst MCU, arguably film, the, the worst film, arguably for the MCU is Thor dark world. Was he the problem? No. And I would say, again, Age of Ultron, not one of my favorites. Was he the problem of that film? Not not his performance. Maybe some of his character stuff that, that was he was had to do because of you know rewrites and, and reshoots and editing and all that stuff. He's but, always made the most uh, out of the material he's been given. Exactly. That's my point. And, and that's my point. Is I think as long as Chris Hemsworth wants to do it, I think... To be honest, I think that Marvel will do it, but it all depends on, I'll say this, when we get four, five and six, it really depends on how four does. And if four does as well or around Ragnarok, you better believe we're going to get a sequel. But I think if it, if it would say this Taika Waititi movie does not do well and it doesn't, you know, for whatever reason, we probably don't. But then I think you still see Hemsworth in the Avengers films because he wants to play the character and there's no reason to take him out at this point. So that's kind of my my take on it. Yeah, I think that uh, as far as the potential, I mean, in, in, as far as standalone movies, I mean, I guess that kind of depends on how you define a trilogy. Could there be more than one more Thor solo film? Yes, I absolutely believe that. But I think that's where it comes down to that definition, though, like is is, is Thor are the Thor movies, even though there are three of them, are they really and truly a trilogy in and of themselves? 
And I would say they are about as much as most other, you know, the, the trilogies that we have of Iron Man and Captain America, although there's a pretty important chunk of that, maybe not so much for Avengers Age of Ultron, but certainly in the first, uh, certainly in the first or in the first Avengers movie, there's a key part of that for Thor's journey as well as Loki's. But yeah, if you want to go ahead and count, if you consider Thor, Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok a trilogy, then yes, I could see us having three more Thor films that could go ahead and qualify as a trilogy. But here's the other thing. Who says the next Thor trilogy is all about Thor Odinson? Because we're going to have another Thor with Jane Foster in Thor Love and Thunder. And so as much as that could be a continuation of Thor Odinson's journey, this could be the, the actually prove to be the beginning of a trilogy for Jane Foster's Thor. As far as the finance, the financial side of it goes, things are different now because Obviously, with this pandemic going on, we don't know how consumers are ultimately going to respond. We don't know how many people are going to go back to theaters and all of that. And of course, Thor Love and Thunder is a couple of years away. So maybe things will get back a lot closer to normal by the time Thor Love and Thunder is going to be in theaters. But before all of this happened, I figured Thor Love and Thunder was a lock to make over a billion dollars. Now I don't really know where the ceiling is at. None of us really do know where the ceiling is at for movies in general. So I, I have a lot, a much harder time predicting that any movie will make a billion dollars going forward. Could happen, but it's just hard to know that right now. But whatever movie, however movies are performing, I expect Thor Love and Thunder to be in the top tier of how movies perform in 2022 when it's actually in theaters. So I think it's going to do very, very well. And I, I certainly think from a financial perspective, it will be easy enough for Marvel Studios to justify and be motivated to make more movies. At the same time, Marvel has so many things going so well right now that it's not like they have to make more Thor movies just because they need that box office. They will get that box office from other franchises as they've proven. So I think it's ultimately going to be driven by the creative. If Taika and Chris Hemsworth want to make another Thor movie after Love and Thunder, Marvel Studios will make another Thor movie after Love and Thunder. Even if Chris Hemsworth doesn't want to do it, if Taika and Natalie Portman, unless, of course, the, of course, there is the possibility that Jane Foster, that her Thor doesn't survive Love and Thunder. But if Jane Foster's Thor survives Love and Thunder, then the possibility exists for Natalie Portman and Taika to team up or Natalie Portman to team up with another director and carry that franchise forward. So suffice to say... I do think there will be options. It's just really a matter of what they decide to do creatively. And I really don't know, but I don't want to, I'm not necessarily going into Love and Thunder, approaching it as if it's the last one, unless we're told in advance that, that it's the last one. At the same time, though, I want to, I want to act as if it could be the last one, because I don't just want to assume that we're going to get a lot more of these when maybe we won't. It's really hard to say at this point, but I think the options will be there and it just comes down to what they decide creatively. Okay, our last question before we go to our Patreon credit scene comes from Super Sound Effects. Do you think Galactus will be the next big villain and how do you think he will get introduced? Uh, as far as introductions go, the one obvious option is Fantastic Four. That's where Galactus was introduced in the comic books. So when we start getting Fantastic Four movies, that's an easy spot to introduce Galactus. But the options are not limited to that. I mean, anything that's somewhat cosmic in nature could be a place where you introduce Galactus. I mean, it could be in a Captain Marvel movie. It could be if we're building towards some new Kree Scroll War thing. Uh, we could see that. I mean, it could even be in Eternals, for all we know, as far as introducing the concept or idea or character 
of Galactus. One other option that I actually like a lot is even before you get to the Fantastic Four, I really love the idea of a Silver Surfer solo movie that features Galactus. I really think there's enough there to just make that movie. And Adam McKay wants to make a Silver Surfer movie, so go ahead and let him, since he and Marvel Studios have been circling ideas together for a long time. Just make that one. It sounds like fun. So uh, I think that's, uh, as far as where Galactus gets introduced, Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four seem like the most likely. But as far as being the next big villain, I actually don't. And I don't really, I lean more towards almost an Earth-based type of villain as the next big bad in the MCU for a little while. Maybe that's Doctor Doom, fingers crossed, because I love Doom. But I don't Mm -hmm. think you just go with another big cosmic bad guy, because one of the worst things that you can do Because there's already going to be this comparison, right? Who's the next Thanos in the MCU? And the only way you have a chance at avoiding those comparisons is by having a guy who's or an an antagonist who's just not at all Thanos. And I feel like if you have Galactus, it's too easy for for people to just oversimplify that and say, this is the new Thanos in the MCU. There is no new Thanos in the MCU. And also for Galactus, when you talk about him being a big villain, What's been really interesting about Galactus as a character over the years and how he's there's been new context around this character as he's evolved, where Galactus is. Inevitably, he's an antagonist because he might want to eat your planet, but there's this other thought and approach to Galactus out there in the comics that's really fascinating to me, and that is the idea of Galactus as a force of nature. You don't have to like it, but the universe actually needs this guy to exist. And so that's the stuff that I find really fascinating about Galactus. And it's in a way that is a little different than and it's still very different from Thanos as far as he thinks what he's doing is what the universe absolutely needs. It's not one guy thinking the universe needs him. It's a lot of people in the universe thinking that this is that that this entity needs to exist and do what it does, that it serves a a purpose in the universe uh, with Galactus. So. Uh, I, I like the idea of Galactus really more. As, he's he's still a character, very much so, but almost as more of a force of nature in the universe as opposed to just uh, just being so simple to be thought of as just a, a great big cosmic threat or a big, great big cosmic villain. For me, Silver Surfer film would be really cool. The only thing is you'd have to have Silver Surfer be, the movie would have to be him breaking away from Galactus without the Fantastic Four, which you can do. That wouldn't be necessarily hard, but it's a little, it's breaking the canons, kind of breaking the tradition, which again, the MCU has been known to do from time to time. And I think in this case, you could do that, but you would, there is some sacrifices there, but you've already done that with the Rise of Silver Surfer. So there's, maybe you don't want to retread that from a while ago. So I think there that's a possibility. I think to me, Galactus versus Fantastic Four, that has not been done really. And I think that to me has to be done. But you can have a different Herald. I mean, we all, if you know Galactus like I do, you know he's had a zillion Heralds. So you've got Silver Surfer, Fire Lord, you've got Terex, you've got, um, oh my gosh, Frankie Ray Nova. I'm not against Galactus and Silver Surfer debuting in a Fantastic Four movie. I'm not against that at all. I'm just throwing out the alternative. And also another alternative, by the way, is if it's not a Silver Surfer movie, I mean, with what they did with The Mandalorian, I'm not unconvinced that, or, you know, you can convince me that maybe a Silver Surfer Disney Plus series is actually achievable. I don't know. 
it's I think it's definitely a, a, achievable to be honest because let's be real having look at this the, the 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 space scenes they have in the Mandalorian they're not they're not super intricate and you could just again I like the idea of filming in front of a the space screen I love that idea with with Silver Surfer someone on a, a board how rad would that look uh you can do it pretty cheaply because uh, I think cheaply, the only issue would be if, if your Silver Surfer is going to be entirely CG. That's where it becomes an issue. That that is true. That is true. So and again, there's ways I think you can work around that. Um, you know, whatever. But but anyway, yeah, I think that with with Galactus, you have to introduce him and you have to have him face Fantastic Four, and you don't have. But it doesn't have to be Silver Surfer as the Herald. Like I said, you've got a zillion other heralds you could use in the meantime. So, which again would be kind of cool. Actually, it'd be cool to see a Terax in the, in the MCU, because that's a character I love from the comics. He's a classic, uh, FF, uh, villain. That's extremely powerful. And that would broke away from Galactus, you know, again, fire Lord Nova. Um, in fact, it'd be really cool. Frankie Ray was a, a man. That's a that's a complicated character of history. But to, to put it simply, he she was a girlfriend of the Human Torch, and when uh, they took on the Galactus, she sacrificed herself to be the Herald of Galactus and became uh, Nova. But she was already a Nova before that. But that's a whole other story. But uh, but but again, you could have a that'd be a cool movie maybe where maybe what if uh, Human Torch's girlfriend sacrifices her self to be the herald of galactus that'd be kind of cool um in a movie that again there's no precedence for that and it'd be kind of out of nowhere and be kind of interesting so yeah i to me galactus i think now as far as him being an overall threat i don't think so because he is he is gonna always be who he is you can't just kill him off i mean that's just kind of not the way that the, the character and the way, like you said, Sean, that he is, he's a force of nature. There's a, I gotta find the, the, the issue number. It's, it's a one and done, but it's a beautiful issue by John Byrne. If you just look up John Byrne Gal- trial of Galactus issue, um, it'll show up. I think it's a, in three or in the, yeah, whatever you just, just Google that and you'll find it right away. It's amazing, amazing issue. Um, yeah, it, it basically Reed Richards argues that point. They put him on trial for not killing Galactus, and he has to basically defend himself against the Shire Empire, the Scrolls. It's a it's a phenomenal issue. It really is an all timer, and I recommend reading it for it, whether you like Fantastic Four or not. So you can't try and, and judge Galactus any more than you could a natural disaster here on Earth. Like it's just. Right. That's why, again, it's it's defined as that that force of nature type of thing where ultimately when you're looking at somebody like Galactus, you can't actually totally stop him. So it's it's just a very different approach to a character. And I would I would much rather see some version of that in the MCU as opposed to just making Galactus the next, you know, trying to make him the quote unquote next Thanos in the MCU. I don't think that's the most interesting thing you could do with that character. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that was our last question. So that is where we will go ahead and wrap up this podcast. We do have a couple more that we have saved for our Patreon credit scene. So stay tuned for that. And you can sign up for it at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News if you're not already signed up. Uh, But make sure you follow us all the other places that you can. MarvelStudiosNews.com is the website. Make sure you're keeping up with us on Instagram. We got a lot of stuff going on over there. Live Q&As. And you never know when Paul and I might show up. That's at Marvel Studios News. We're on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash Marvel Studios News. Paul, where can everybody find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka PThug, also on Instagram at Herman22 with two N's as well. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S E A N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.